WGBB Sports Talk Flashback. The only reason I ever watched basketball, the only reason I ever rooted for the Knicks was Bernard King. And when he was in New York in the mid-80s, he was one of the most exciting athletes. So let's get to him. Uh, you know, he's on, he's on hold right now. I, I, I hope he heard what you just had to say. Good evening, Bernard. Eric Merlis and Derek Waziak. How are you tonight? Hey, good evening, gentlemen. How are you guys doing? That was a wonderful compliment. I always appreciate that. Uh, <laughs> it's, my, it's my pleasure, Bernard. I am so happy. This is the most excited I've ever been for an interview tonight, and it's going to be a great time. When we get to your career in particular, it's going to be very exciting to talk to you about I'll it. I'll tell you something. You know, when, when I talked to you earlier in the week, and we firmed everything up, and I, and I told Derek... Uh, that you were coming on, and Derek's birthday was earlier this week, and he said, this is the best, best birthday gift I've had all week. He, he, he's, he's really looking forward it's to it. It's true, Bernard. My wife bought me an autographed baseball, Bo Jackson, one of my favorite college athletes of all time. Another guy, during the same time, he was dominating college, coming out of Auburn and all that, and uh, I was so happy to receive that gift. But when Eric told me you were coming on, I'm telling you right now, Last 30 years, and it's great because you got here in 1982. It's 2012, so 30 years ago. I would argue with anybody that in the last 30 years, you were the greatest New York Knicks basketball player I have ever seen. And I know it's, it's tough because I really started watching them when you got here in a diehard fashion. I watched every game. You were exciting, explosive. You were money Thank in the you. bank on those jump shots. And when you left, I kind of resented the Knicks for letting you go because uh, I, I didn't think that was the right move. Well, I appreciate those uh, sentiments, and um, when Eric asked me to come on, I said, certainly, Eric, uh, we, we work together from time to time, so I was more than happy to do that. And, and as you know, I appreciate it. Um, let, let's dive in. You know, Obviously, the, the big story around the Knicks right now, and, and it's probably the biggest sport, story in New York sports, if not uh, most of sports these days, is the emergence of Jeremy Lin. And, and you and I had a chance to watch that game uh, together Last week, when the Lakers were in town, uh, I, I know this really snuck up on everybody. I, you know, I, I don't think there are too many people out there that expected this. Uh, as it's gone on now, it's now another week and a half since that game, and it really hasn't slowed down. Uh, how? What have you seen? You know, as someone who has owned that building in the past, um, you know, for a guy to emerge like he has and own the building, wh- what do you think is going on? First of all, on the court, and then second of all, in his head. Well, I, I've certainly watched uh, each of the nine games that the Knicks have played uh, uh, with Jeremy Rose uh, facilitating everything and leading the back and forth and uh, having an opportunity to work some of those games uh, for MSG. Uh, it was apparent to me from the very outset, uh, Eric and Derek, that uh, Jeremy Lin was a legitimate point playmaking point guard. There's a lot of point guards throughout the NBA, but uh, very few of them have the point playmaking skills that uh, Lynn possesses, the ability to see the floor when he penetrates into the paint and still has great court awareness and court vision to still find the spot of shooters uh, in, in the corner for three-point shots. That was apparent uh, to, tonight as, as he sure sold his 14 assists. And he's just a tremendous player that really fools you. But I think that the D'Antoni system truly benefits his skill sets. Uh, he understands the pick and roll uh, very clearly, uh, knows how to utilize it in terms of coming off and changing direction if the, uh, the pending guard is cheating and knows how to make the slip passes to Chandler or Amari Sardermeyer, for that matter. He's a great talent. Uh, the, you know, given the system and given the coach, 
it, it's tough not to start those comparisons, and they, and they are starting uh, to 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 uh, to Steve Nash in Phoenix. Are, are those unfair, or is that legitimate? No, I, I, I wouldn't make those comparisons. I think comparisons are made due to the fact that uh, Dan Tony is, is a head coach, and you saw Steve Nash uh, not only function in that system but dominate uh, uh, many areas of the league uh, because of those uh, point play making skills. Uh, it was suited to uh, to Nash, but Nash is still playing at the same level that he did when he performed for Dan Tony. And so I think it's too early to make those comparisons. Uh, you're talking about one of the legendary players in NBA history in Nash, and uh, you're going to have to wait till uh, a little bit further down the road to start making that comparisons. But you do see uh, similarities in this style of play. You know, ever, I know a lot of people are, are excited about about Jeremy Lin, obviously. Um, the the one thing on on the negative side that people are kind of glossing over, and it and I think it's a bit of a concern. Uh, is his high number of turnovers. He's averaging six and a half turnovers a game. The other numbers are huge as well, but that six and a half turnover number for for most players is going to end up putting them on the bench. Is that a number that, that he can bring down? Well, I, I think if you look at uh, the, the next lineup, the number will come down certainly as uh, they get deeper into the season. But if you look at the lineup, uh, other than the last three games uh, today and being part of that, Amari Scottomari was out, obviously, due to the uh, death of his brother. And uh, Carmelo Anthony has, has been out as well. And so you have not had the creative players. You have spot-up shooters in Novak, uh, Landry Fields. Uh, he moves very well about the basketball. But you have not had guys that can create their own shots. Uh, once uh, Jeremy Lin penetrates and he likes to pass off. And so as a result, you've seen high degree of turnovers. I think that he made an adjustment today uh, when they came with the double team in terms of Dallas. He didn't fight it. He backed away from it. Then he was made, He was able to make an extended pass, which allowed the Knicks to be effective. And you see how important a guy like J.R. Smith is at, at this point coming in and hadn't even practiced with the right. ball club. Right. And it was very effective in terms of able to uh, capitalize and score some points with the ball club. You've been around the game a long time. Have you ever? Do you ever remember anything even remotely close to this emergence? Well, I, I think that the you know the stats uh, speak for itself uh, in, in terms of what he's been able to do uh, over the, the first nine games. Uh, so I, I think that speaks uh, loudly and clearly to his uh, his skill set. Obviously, uh, it's being done in New York, so it's uh, certainly magnified. But uh, it's very exciting. Uh, you know, everybody wants to root for the underdog, I included. <laughs> so it's been a phenomenal, you see? No, that's funny. Yeah, I was laughing. That's, that's very yeah, funny. It's yeah, it's a phenomenal thing, though, to, to watch. Right. And uh, I worked the game, um, in, in fact, with uh, you, Eric, when, uh, I believe against the Lakers. Right. Uh, when, you know, a lot of you know a lot of people thought that perhaps uh, the Lakers would take him out of his game, and, and uh, he controlled that game for the most part. He bought him sure. 38 points, and Knicks went on to a win. It's, I think that he's ready and capable of handling all of the challenges that, that he's going to face moving forward. And, uh, no, I, I don't think you've ever seen anything like it. And at least I can't recall. No, <laughs> when, when he comes on the court lately, I mean, the, the place explodes. He, ha, he has the entire building right in the palm of his hand. There aren't many guys that have come into the garden like that, uh, wearing a Nick uniform, that have had that 
uh, that um, ability right out of the gate to do that. Obviously, you know, given the story, that's why that ability is there. Uh, you've walked into that building and have had that kind of response. What what goes through a guy's head when you walk into that building and you get that kind of response? Well, it's, it, it's, it's, a, it's a matter of a, a number of things. First of all, it's Madison Square Garden. Right. Uh, it, it is considered the mecca of basketball in terms of the basketball universe. And any player uh, from an opposing team uh, that walks into the garden obviously wants to play well. And when the garden is your home floor, and you have that kind of uh, support from your from your home crowd, it only gives you a tremendous lift. So I was fortunate uh, from the standpoint that I grew up in New York, so I witnessed uh, the championship teams and uh, the, the history of the Knicks, and, and I'm part of that history now. And it was just a joy to, to go out there every night and perform in front of uh, fans of your teammates that understood and appreciated the game of basketball, not just from putting the baskets into the bucket, but also in terms of assists and defense and hustle plays like Garrett Jeffries. When he draws a, a charge underneath that basket, the fans, they get out of their seat and applaud that. So it's really wonderful. So, Bernard, you grew up a Knicks fan or not? Well, uh, certainly. Uh, the Knicks was, were, my, were my team. It was <laughs> any kid. Uh, All right, because uh, I'm going to speak from this perspective. I, I didn't follow you in college. I'm just being honest about it. I wasn't aware of the Ernie and Bernie show, and you, you, were, you were top of the draft in 77 and all that. I had to look that stuff up. But I was aware of Bernard King when he arrived to the Knicks. So growing up in New York, in Brooklyn, uh, being a renowned uh, high school ball player and all that, and then finally making your way through trades and stuff to being on the Knicks, how did you feel when you first arrived in 82? Well, you know, obviously growing up in New York, uh, I, I didn't have an opportunity to attend any of the games. Uh, my, my first game that I attended uh, in Madison Square Garden was my senior year in high school okay. uh, when I made All-City uh, first team. And uh, we were honored on the garden floor at the halftime of a Nick Boston Celtic game. And uh, so we had seats in the arena. For, and that was my first uh, professional basketball game. So uh, certainly that's something I'll, I'll never forget. Uh, I came over from Golden State uh, to the New York Knicks when Dave DeBush, bless his soul, was um, was the general manager of the team. Right. And uh, they, they signed me as, as a free agent. And uh, to, to come home, uh, it was very important to me that uh, I played at the highest level. I was second team all pro when I arrived, but it was very important to me that I played at the highest level uh, for that franchise and, and for the fans. And to see your parents and your friends there, uh, in the arena before ball games was, you know, was a very, very special time. Something I'll never forget. All right. So now the next, the second two years, the eighty three, eighty four season, eighty four, eighty five season, but Bernard King is up there, right there, all NBA first team with guys like Larry Bird, Magic Johnson, Kareem, eighty four in particular. You know, the back-to-back 50-point games. But the biggest memory I had that season, it wasn't necessarily just the series themselves. I thought it was a great job you did in beating Detroit and, and listen, the Celtics to take them seven games. But my biggest memories were Game 5 against the, against the Pistons, Bernard King, 44 points in a big, deciding series win. And then Game 6 against the Celtics, 
I think it was 44 points again to extend it to a seventh game. Tell me what it felt like going up against guys. I mean, listen, you're a pro athlete, so you're just competing against those guys. That's how I view you. You had that look in your eye. But tell me, like, thinking back to guys like Bird and Mikhail and those kind of guys and going up against Isaiah and the Pistons, what was it like at the time, the intensity and, and the ability to rise and put up those kind of point totals for your team? Well, uh, certainly, uh, once, once you get into the playoffs, uh, the level of play obviously elevate uh, uh, to a higher level, and it was my responsibility as the captain and the leader of the ball club uh, to ensure our success as, as uh, greatly as possible. And uh, so I, I made sure that I took my play to another level, um, and I was able to do that in that first round, and we had some really good uh, players on our ball club who played well. Uh, Billy Cartwright had right. an extremely uh, good series. Uh, our Walker, Rory Sparrow. Uh, Louis Orr, um, just the list goes on. And, you know, we were a very strong defensive team, and we weren't supposed to win that first series. And um, as I recall, I averaged 42 points a game for that five-game series, and we were able to win the fifth game in, in, in Detroit in Joe Louis Arena uh, in a very tough environment. And, and we came out of that exhausted, obviously, uh, going into that Celtics series. And we, we were confident that we could beat the Celtics. Right. I, I've always said, yeah, guys, if we had the seventh game in Madison Square Garden with all fans, we would have won game seven, despite the Celtics having four Hall of Famers. Yeah, and that was one of those series. I believe every team won their home game. So, that you know what? That's a pretty valid point that was made. And in the first series, you, you talked about your average points. I, I don't think you scored less than 40 points, except for one There might have been one game in that series. I, I'm telling you, I was watching these games. I was amazed at how you were able to elevate your level of play. What was more exciting? I know what the answer is going to be, but what was more exciting? The back-to-back 50-point games or that game five where you're winning a series? Because I've, I've, I've heard you on occasion talk about the willingness to trade certain moments for a title. So, But what, what was the feeling, the difference between the 50-point games and, and this deciding game, you know, game five against the Pistons? Uh, it, yeah, I, I would say I would have to uh, look at the totality of that series. Right. Um, as opposed to a singular uh, uh, event in the fifth game, and, and, and that's what I look at. But that, I would certainly say uh, the fifth game over back-to-back 50s. Uh, Absolutely. All it's right. a, a pressure-packed situation where it, it's all on the line. It's, uh, you know, when it goes move forward and the loser goes home. And uh, so certainly with the game on the line, uh, Isaiah Thomas, uh, he uh, had a great series, uh, particularly coming down the stretch when, uh, I don't know, he scored 23 points or something like that. Right. In, a, in a matter of a minute and a half, we're just a little bit more than that. Uh, so that was pretty phenomenal on, on his part. But uh, all the way through, I knew we would win. And I remember one play in particular, guys. Uh, we go to the sidelines and uh, we, we, we design a play and we come out of that huddle. Uh, I wind up with the basketball and, and I'm um, being defended by Earl Curitan, and he says to me, come on and bring it. <laughs> <laughs> that was the wrong thing for him to say. All the time, the game is on the line. Uh, he's telling me, come on and bring it. <laughs> uh, he, he said it to the wrong guy. I, I, I was so excited. I hated the Pistons back then. I hated the Celtics even more. I mean, if you guys would have won that game seven, that would have been arguably one of the biggest playoff upsets of all time. Because the 80s, and like I, I'm not a basketball expert, but the 80s to me was all about the Celtics. And the Lakers, absolutely right, and Bird and Magic, and then you had you had a little bit in there with the with the seventy sixes because you had Doctor J with Moses Malone. They were able to get a title, and then you know the Pistons at the end. Like when you met met them, they were just starting to get really good, 
And then by the end of the decade, they, they started winning. They won a couple of titles. But the next year, uh, I remember before on Christmas Day when you put up your 60 points against the Nets. Uh, how did that feel? You had 40 points at the half. I mean, I thought, as a fan of yours, I thought you were going to have like 80 or more that game. But how did that feel, that, that, that experience? Well, you know, obviously, I, I, I never thought about uh, scoring points unless it was absolutely, absolutely necessary. Uh, QB called most of the players in our set offense and transition. Uh, we created on our own or in the early flow of the offense. Uh, right. I, I, I've never been in tune with how many points I have. I had on a given night. Uh, it, it was simply whatever the team required for me offensively. Um, that's what I was going to deliver. That was my that was my job, and it goes back to when I signed with the ball club. Um, um, I was I prided myself on rebounding. Uh, Dave DeBusschere was my favorite player growing up because I was a rebounder. Uh, I was 20, 28 rebounds in, in high school. I led the conference in scoring and rebounding the three years I was at the University of Tennessee. So I really uh, believed in that area of the game. And, and Dave told me that hey, we brought you here to score points. We like the fact that you rebound, but you're here to score. You you know, you mentioned that you didn't necessarily know how many points you had, but do you ever get? Did you ever get a feeling in one of those games like that that you were just having one of those games where you knew that the numbers were piling up? You might not have known where you were, but you just knew that everything you touched was going to go in. Well, you you know, when you average twenty six points a game, or you are averaging thirty two points a game, as I did as well, you know, every night tends to be a big night for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I prided myself on more than anything else, um, uh, Eric, is that I believe in my consistency. Uh, that's what really what I prided myself on is that on a nightly basis, uh, I would go out and perform at the same level. And the, the only way you can do that, Eric, is by making sure that you can get catch the ball in the areas of the floor that you wanted. And uh, I had the ability to do that and, and get great position on the block and I ran the floor better or as well as any small forward in the league, so I was always out there in transition on the fast break. But it's always a special feeling uh, when, when you are in rhythm and you feel the seams in the defense and you, you don't have to think about it. Right, and you were so explosive on the court. I mean, I, I remember them speaking about that a lot when you had to come back from the injury. So you go through that horrific injury out in Kansas City in the second half of that season in 85. And, and this is where I think my diehard following of you maybe intensified, especially after you came back from the injury, because to go through what you went through and then to go through all that kind of rehab, when I looked at you as an athlete and I saw the look in your eye, you had that real competitive, nasty mentality in a good way, the way I used to see it in Walter Payton, or I was a big boxing fan with Marvin Hagler. That's what I admired about you. And when you came back from that injury, I looked at you as, and you talked about consistency. When I root for somebody, and I'm not afraid of them coming out and not giving a full effort. When I know that my athletes, the guys I root for, are coming out and giving 100% every time, that, that endears me even more with them. And that's how it was with those kind of guys. And you were one of those kind of guys. So not only about your rehab after that knee injury, but your work ethic, your preparation, nobody sees that away from the court. How was that growing up and into college and the pros and then leading into your rehab in terms of I'm getting back to this game and I'm going to get back to my level? Can you talk about that a little bit? Well, that's certainly not uh, something that you can determine that you're going to have it as part of your personality as an athlete. That's something that's developed over a period of time. And right. I had that desire and that, that passion and that work ethic as, uh, as a young kid. Uh-huh. And 
and that's why I was able to develop my skills uh, as a result of the hard work that I had put in that allowed me to, to ascend to the highest level of, in, in sports. And I carried that throughout my high school years. I carried it when I played on the playground with the young. I carried it throughout my collegiate career, and I uh, brought that into the NBA. And that's all about preparation. And the challenge, uh, it's a team game, but within the team game, you, you have to have goals. Uh, you, you have to have uh, challenges that, that you want to hurdle. And I always uh, thought that if we're playing back-to-back games, if we're playing three games in three nights or three games in four nights, uh, my challenge was always to play at a higher level on night two right. or night three if it's three nights in a row than I did on night one. That's how I challenged myself, and I think that I was able to accomplish that. We well, did a great job in New York, uh, Bernard, and and this is probably why when you came back from the knee injury, and I saw your last few games of that 87 season, and you seemed, you know, I mean, you weren't back to your usual performance, but the fact that they let you go after that season, listen, I didn't go to any Nick games after that, but when I was in college, my junior and senior year, uh, buddies of mine that were big basketball fans, they got me to go to games when you would ask it, listen, if I'm going to go, I'm going to go watch Bernard King play. I went to three of your games, and I, you can comment in terms of, like, you know, Getting after the team that that let you go at one point, but I saw and I'm telling you, you might remind, you put up 40 points or more every game. One time in 90, and and the two games you lost were in overtime, and the one game you won, I think you had at least 40, 45, maybe 49 points in a victory. Uh, and I, I might have been the only guy really rooting for you, but I, I, I want you to comment on some of the times you came back to the Garden and and uh, you know put it to your old team. Well, you spoke about um, when I left the Knicks. Uh, I understood the decision. Uh, I harbored no ill feelings about that. It was a very simple business decision. I had come back and played six games, and I don't think you can find too many guys that have missed over two years and, and that were healthy right. and returned to the game uh, with six games remaining in the season and averaged 22 points. Uh, it's difficult enough to do that when you're healthy uh, than to come back from a career-threatening injury and, and, and perform at that level. But I understood the decision, and um, I, I lived a dream, uh, a fulfillment of a dream by playing for the Knicks, and, and it's, that's that's the feeling I always have in my heart uh, is that I'm, I'm part of the, the Knicks history, and that's, that's special. And certainly whenever I came back to the Garden, I, I, I came back one year right. uh, after being named to the All-Star uh, team the day before and at 34 years old, and I was the oldest starter to play ever at that time. That's right. Uh, uh, in, in the All Star game as a starter, so with a rebuilt knee, I might add. <laughs> That's right. Hey, listen, man, I, I was, I was, I was so excited when you came back, and I actually saw you play in person. The way you performed in those games, and and uh, listen, I got to say this much: almost twenty thousand points going through that kind of an injury, missing the kind of time you met you you missed. I think if you would have stayed healthy, and I, listen, these are a lot of ifs, ifs or hypotheticals, but a healthy Bernard King probably would have been closer to the 28, 30,000 point range with a full career. But you know what? I tell you what, the way you went about things, the way you pulled through that adversity, it made me admire you even more. And in college, when I played hockey, when I went to college, I couldn't get my number on the team I played. I couldn't get my high school number. And uh, so I took number 30. I never played basketball at all at any level, but I took number 30 because I admired Bernard King, and I, and I want to thank you personally for coming on the show. Listen, 50 points back-to-back games, a 60-point game on Christmas Day. The, the, I tend to think you won number 30 because you were averaging 30 every game, at least when I was watching. Uh, 
Special athletes don't do that by accident. I personally think you're a Hall of Famer, even if it doesn't happen someday. But I, I want to thank you for joining us because I think this was a total pleasure for me. Well, uh, thank you, Eric, uh, and thank you, Derek, uh, as, as well. I uh, appreciate the fact that you guys had me on. And, hey, this is an exciting time, uh, again, for Nick basketball. Right. It's not just in New York City or, or a national phenomenon with uh, Jeremy Lin. It's global. And uh, so basketball is, is what's being talked about throughout the world in terms of sports right now. Yep. And it extends all the way to the White House with President Obama. Talking yep. about Jeremy right. Lin. So there you go. Hey, it was the it was the opening sketch on Saturday night. It was the opening sketch on Saturday Night Live this weekend. Oh, they did one. You know, it's, All right. it's everywhere. Yes, exactly right. It's 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 here to stay because Jeremy Lin is legitimate. Mellow's coming back, and uh, they're going to have an awesome year. J.R. Smith is there, and I look for them to have a great second half of the season after the All Star game and a huge run into the playoffs. I appreciate you taking the time, Bernard. I'll see you. I'll see you at the garden soon. Okay, guys. Thanks Take a lot, care. Bernard. Take, Take care. care Thank yourself. you.